Genre. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, we're addressing Wild Wild West. The wrongs will be righted, the past made present, and the united divided. So, Chris... Is Wild Wild West a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Uh, it's a little bit of everything, isn't it? Because it, it is a is. remake of a TV show. That's uh, true. Yes, it is. Uh, that's that's what complicated. Should it be remade? Honestly, no. But then where would we go with this podcast? So we're going to say yes. But it's widely enough known that even if the answer is it shouldn't be, it probably will be. It might be. I mean, this was this was such a weird one because it's like it's IP. You no, know, it, it is IP, but it's also like. I feel like tainted IP to some degree. Like this was considered like a huge, like critical commercial flop kind of when it came. I don't actually remember what the numbers were in terms of like what it did the box office. I can look them up. Uh, but I know that like critically it's kind of panned, which I love the movie. Oh, I really, I, I kind of shamelessly, I, I can't remember if I pitched me being on this episode many years ago, which you is like, did. Okay. Yeah. I think it's so much fun. I think it's, like, simultaneously incredibly stupid, but also kind of smart and kind of clever. Well, I'll get to the clever part of it, because yeah. I'm going to end up patting both of us on the back. Okay. Um, opening weekend, I'm sorry, the budget was $170 million. Uh-huh. Opening weekend was $27 million. Gross Ooh. in the U.S. and Canada is 113 and then worldwide it's 222 But that's, I mean, that but, didn't make money then. No, because it was, like, after marketing, and this movie got marketed to hell. It was. I mean, it was, like, a big deal when it came out. Absolutely. Um, I, I also I still listen to the song on a semi regular basis. Fair. Look, I, I mean, it, it, this movie is also it's campy. Oh yeah, and I love campy. And that song in particular is just like so over the top, ridiculous, and campy. Like that song has a prominent spot on my like campy gay music playlist, even though there's <laughs> nothing like really like actually like textbook gay about it, other than the fact that it's just like incredibly campy. I'm st- I'm, I'm pretty sure you can just like label it, and be like, yes, and there you go. Yeah. Um, but before we get too, in, too far into us, Chris Lord. Yes. Welcome back to Ideal Remake. Thank you. Oh my God. I always love being here. Yeah. Thank so, you so much for coming on. Yeah. For people who haven't listened to your many other episodes before, mm-hmm. one of which will be brought up very shortly, what, tell, tell the people about what you do. Yes. So I am a professional podcast producer. So I work for uh, Crooked Media. Most people know them as the producers of Pod Save America. I am in their entertainment and culture department, and so I produce a show called Keep It, which is like a pop culture entertainment show with a gay POV, and it's a blast, honestly. It's a super fun, it's like one of those shows that is like as fun to make as it is to listen to. Like, I actually, I'm like constantly cracking up. The guys are really, really funny, and I'm like, I've conditioned myself now to not laugh during a recording session, because I'm in the studio with one of the hosts all the time. But sometimes it's hard because they're genuinely really funny. And um, no, it's great. We get to like interview really cool people. We get to talk about cool, fun things. And it's just great to be in a position where like my years of useless pop culture knowledge is actually beneficial. So it's uh, a beacon of hope for all of us with all of our own useless information. Yes. Yes, exactly. If you, uh, you know, I was a, a, a produced my own podcast for, for five and a half years. It was great. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was all about Batman. 
But, you know, if you do a job for five years and no one pays you to do it, maybe eventually someone will pay you to do it. And that's, that's what, true. That's this what is, happened. So this is unrelated, but I was having a conversation with... Uh, so the last three episodes are kind of an unintentional nerdist run mm-hmm. because I started with Amanda Barnes and then the last episode that came out was Kevin Mosteller and now you. And that's three oh, nerdist that's people in a row. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The, 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 the long gone nerdist improv yeah. team. That the, was a fun time. <laughs> Nerd, we were all parts of the, I don't know if Kevin was, but the Nerdist School Network. Oh my God. Yes. Long the, the, good old, the good old Nerdist Not School Nerdist Network. Network. Nerdist School Network. Nerdist School Network. Yes. There was always a critical differentiator. Uh, and then it was like the Ruby Studio for a long time. And that still exists. Well, yeah, they moved. Yeah, I guess they moved. Because like now that, that whole block is now this like massive. Yeah. They're building like, condos. Yeah. Massive condos. Like, I think because, almost none of this uh, Capitalism's terrible. But, okay. So. The reason why I mentioned one of your previous appearances mm-hmm. is specifically you are a huge fan of James Bond. Yes. And so you and I did a remake of uh, From Russia with Love kind of mixed in with Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had a pitch for that James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And as I'm watching Wild Wild West and I'm thinking about Wild Wild West, I realized that Wild Wild West is our remake of... At, is our pitch for James Bond. Oh, it's, it's our, Certainly the villains. Certainly, okay. with, minus, minus the Southern, uh, uh, the Confederacy of it all. Except for, yes, with the exception of uh, Kenneth Branagh, famous Shakespearean actor Kenneth Branagh, playing, playing a, like, half-chopped-off yeah. uh, former Confederate engineer-slash-megamaniacal uh-huh. insane person. Well, yes. well, basically what we'd pitched was we'd pitched Idris Elba kind of as the rejected James Bond, and we'd pitched uh, that he'd kind of collected all of the the cast-offs from, cast-offs from society. Oh, and that we... that was his big idea. And so yes. our big villain idea was that it was like all these people who had been otherwise rejected. Yeah. And that's why it was like Idris Elba, the person who should have been James Bond but wasn't. Yeah, I forgot about that. And like the whole idea is that like in the movie, Dr. Arliss Lovelace basically collects like... It's surrounded by women scientists and, like, mm. people who are missing limbs and all the, these other people who otherwise would have been thrown out by society. And, like, he gives them a purpose and a place. It's for evil. But, like, it is it is accepting in a way that the good guys, the quote-unquote good guys aren't. Yeah. And in doing so, it's that extra little twist of, we're not so bad, are we? Mm-hmm. And, like, I realized that our creation of our villain in our James Bond remake is basically the villains here. And I, I don't know. I just wanted to pat us on the back because I think oh we were very God. clever. Holy shit. I, I, one, I, I I will admit, I forgot that was what our pitch was. I, at this point, I have a terrible yeah. habit of once I'm done recording a podcast, everything about it, I've forgotten. Look, I'm pretty sure we've had a couple of conversations and I can't remember all of them. No, it's absolutely <laughs> true. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, okay, I'm trying to remember all the episodes. They've all been of a, of a theme, roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love anything that's as been on today. So what, it was Superman. Yep. James Bond. Yep. Uh, the British Avengers, not the the MCU that's, Avengers. I, I genuinely, that's the one I forgot because I could, um, I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm missing one. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Thank you again of a piece. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then I think you were part of when I did Terminator. Yes, like, that's, and that that's, was that's, our big group event of like I think it was episode 100 or yeah, there's a whole bunch of us. Yeah, and it was uh, um, you, Kamara, and Diane. Yes, and me. And we all talked about Terminator, and then you all made fun of me because I didn't think someone was hot enough. I don't remember. Or who I thought. Uh, I remember who it was, but the, yeah. The dad, that sounds like me. The dad from uh, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings, I was like, oh, he can be the Terminator. He blends, it, blends in everywhere. And then all three oh, of you oh, were um, like, he doesn't blend in anywhere. Tony Leon. He's the hottest man ever. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
his name. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. blanking at the moment. But yes, oh my god, so you have a much better memory than I do. I forget everything. I did. I so, did not remember the Avengers. <laughs> when you said the Avengers, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Luckily, the only thing I remember is just, like, an encyclopedic knowledge of, like, actors, directors, movies, and all that sort of stuff. That is true. Human conversations I've had? Out gone. Gone. <laughs> gone entirely. So, so, do you remember when you first saw Wild Wild West? I pretty, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theaters. Mm-hmm. So, because it came out in 99, so I would have been, like, 9 turning 10. And, like, also, as an aside... 99, like, is packed with, like, some of oh, the, I know. Like, the, like, the craziest movies and, like, some of the biggest movies ever. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but uh, for the last, I want to say, year, I've been going over to my friend uh, Meredith and Josh's house, and they've been hosting something called uh, Movie Drafts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of these. Maybe. Basically, what the premise is that we pick a year, and oh, okay. we have five categories, and we're all trying to fill the categories with different movies from the year. But yeah. once a movie's been picked, it can't be picked by anyone else. Mm-hmm. So, I, the first movie draft, I don't remember what year it was. I think it was, like, 2010. I really wanted, for, like, the blockbuster, I wanted to pick Toy Story 3, but Char got to it before okay, me, so then yeah. I had to, like, scramble and figure out a different blockbuster to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, and that's basically the way we, there's no winner, it's just, like, filling up the rack and just talking about movies and having sure. fun. Yeah, sounds great. But 1999 was nuts. What, what, I mean, like, also in my head, I'm trying to remember, like, Fight Club, The Matrix, 10 Things About You, The Mummy... She's all that American Pie. Um, I, I I only know this because like I literally for work I was making a list recently. Like <laughs> this came out in 1999. Um, I, I think I know there's more, but it's just like it's truly just like an uh, oh one of my all time favorite satires, Dick. The like the satire of the uh, the Nixon impeachment. Yep, that was uh, that was Char's wild card. Yeah, that that is true. Like genuinely an amazing film. Like I, I have a lot of respect for like what I call like the. Uh, Kirsten Dunst like satire triple bill sure. of Drop Dead Gorgeous Bring It On and, and Dick it's a, it's a great triple bill go check uh, it out so my 1999 movie draft my drama was Bicentennial Man mm. my comedy was Galaxy Quest oh, oh that was yeah. Yeah. Yes, was my 99. blockbuster was The Mummy. A fucking amazing film. Uh, my horror thriller was a movie called Idle Hands. I don't rem- I remember the name, but not the movie. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. Uh, my action romance was The Iron Giant. <gasps> and uh, my wild card was Smart House. Oh my god, Smart House. So, that was what I picked for uh, 1999. But at some point we should... But uh, Josh had... Pit, had uh, Who... I think Josh got Wild Wild West. Okay. Uh, yeah, Josh's comedy was Wild Wild West. Okay. I mean, like, that's the thing about this. Like, And again, I, I, I rewatched it, obviously, for, for this podcast. But I had seen it again not too long ago. I think I watched it at least once in like, the last year prior to that. Okay. And it's like... I, it's one of those movies that I know is bad. Any, like, criticism of it, I, like, it's 100% valid. I totally agree with it. Mm-hmm. I just kind of don't care. That's fair. I have so much fun with it. I think I think genuinely Will Smith and Kevin Klein have amazing chemistry together. I think they have, like, such a fantastic dynamic. Um, I also think it's hilarious that, like, the three leads in this are now all Oscar winners. Kenneth Branagh, Kevin Klein, Will Smith all have Oscars. Oh, I thought we were talking about... Uh... Kevin Klein's an Oscar? Yes. He's one of the, at least like, I'd say of the modern era, very few wins for a comedy. He won Best Supporting Actor for A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, that's right. I only saw A Fish Called Wanda for the first time a couple months ago. It's fun. I, it I, is very fun. It's, it's really fun. My, um, a friend and I, we will still like, if we're like, we're, we're catching up, we're having dinner, we're going to leave. If one of us leaves first as a driving away, we'll just yell, asshole! To the other <laughs> one. 
much the confusion of everyone around us. But yeah, it's like he like that's one of the rare comedy wins, and and I think his his comedy performances in general are really yeah. really fantastic. He's great. He's out very good in Fish Called Wanda. Um, and so I I like I just really enjoy especially the name between the two of them there. Like I didn't really know much about the original show, so I was kind of like reading up on it in preparation for this. And it's like when I was reading about the original show, it kind of makes more sense why this movie is what it is. Like the show is pitched as like James Bond on horseback, which this is basically trying to do. It was mm-hmm. deliberately like anachronistic and fantastical. And what I kind of love about this, because isn't this so 60s, like, the episode ideas would start with, like, one of the designers coming up with, like, some sort of crazy anachronistic gadget. And they're like, okay, we'll build a whole episode around this. And that's what this is. Like, it you really know, is. Yeah. Like, I mean, the anachronistic gadget is the giant spider that pop culture has talked about to death. Right, yes. The, the famous John Peters spider, which yeah. he finally got into his movie. Um, but then they did kind of build the movie around it. I mean, like, yeah. Kenneth Branagh, like thing is that he also has a giant spider under like his wheelchair thing yeah exactly and you know and like this is kind of like one of the first like steampunk it is movies too one of my criticisms is that i wanted it to be more steampunk like he's got his little like steam vent on the back of his like motorized wheelchair but i wanted more i wanted it to be crazier steampunk yeah like this is one of the first steampunk things but like and so i can understand that it's not quite enough Mm -hmm. like the last episode i talked about the first mad max movie Mm -hmm. and it kept bothering me that it wasn't mad max enough but it's the first Mad Max movie. They didn't know how Mad Max right. they could get yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't reaching the levels of Fury Road. Of course not. Obviously. Uh, but, like, for this, I wanted more. Okay. So, the, I also saw this movie in theaters many, many years ago, mm-hmm. and then I didn't see it again until I watched it again for the podcast. Oh, okay. I, I have seen this movie, it's gotta be in the ballpark of, like, ten plus times. Like, I, own, I know I owned it on DVD. It's just, like, it's one of those movies, like, hit at the right age where I don't care how bad it is. Like, it, I, didn't know yeah. it was, I didn't know it was bad when I watched it as a kid, and I... I've never really come to accept it as bad because I've just loved it I've mentioned it, it before, always. but I, I love the idea of just having a, a personal, like, XY chart, and there's good and bad, and like it and hate it. Because mm-hmm. like, there's a lot oh, of movies yeah, that yeah, I appreciate yeah. are good, yeah. but I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of really heavy dramas, and I'm like, yes, this is a good movie. I do not like it. That That is a really good way of putting it. That, that's, actually, that's a much more precise way of, like, my metric has always been... Uh, is this a bad good movie or a good bad movie? Sure. Like, is this a bad movie that is still, like, fun to watch, enjoyable, yeah. a good ride? Or is this, like, a movie that was intended to be, like, really good and just falls flat? My mm-hmm. classic example is Batman and Robin is a good bad movie. That sure. is a bad movie that is fun every time you watch it. The Dark Knight Rises is a bad good movie. Like, it is well produced. It's, like, a good closing act to a trilogy. But, like, a Batman film, it completely falls on its ass. And a lot of it doesn't work. And it's almost three hours, and I have... That's probably the Batman movie I've seen the least. Yeah, that I would probably put that one in both I don't care for it, and it is also bad. Yeah, exactly. Like, and again, I, I can appreciate, like, the intention behind you know, the segment filmmaking. segment three of the... Or quad, yeah. quad, quadrant three. Exactly, yeah. So for me, like, this, this is, like, 100%, like, one of my all-time favorite, like, good, bad yeah. movies. Good. That's fun. Yeah. All right, well... For people who haven't seen Wild Wild West, or certainly haven't seen it since uh, 1999... Uh, which was, sadly, 25 years ago. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> 24 years ago. Yes, we're closing in. Uh, but yeah, what what happens in this movie? What's the premise of the movie? So, it's basically about a cowboy. He's a... Well, I guess he's not a... He's a U.S. Marshal, I think, right? Something like that. So, yeah. Played by Will Smith, same Jim West. He's like... You know, he's good at his job. He's like a rat hunter. He's an adventurer. Very much a, like a James Bond archetype. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's cowboy James Bond. Yes, like shoot first, fuck later. Yep. I can swear, right? I forget. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm forgetful sometimes. We establish. So he is basically like trying to track down the person who murdered a town full of 
former, like now freed slaves, including his own family. And in his attempt to do so, he intersects with Artemis Gordon, who is this like very theatrical, I think also a U.S. Marshal or whatever. Um, but, you know, he like he has gadgets. He'll like, you know, wear disguises. The first time we meet him, he's like dressed up as like this over the top makeup as a prostitute in a saloon sort of thing. And of course, like the two people like, oh, the buttheads, like, you know, the guy who shoots first, the guy who plans things out. You know, of course, like the odd couple buddy comedy, buddy cop sort of thing. And they end up on the trail of this guy, Arliss Loveless. Arliss? Whatever. Yep, Dr. Arliss Lovelace. Yes, uh, played by the aforementioned Oscar winner Kenneth Branagh, who, like, lost the lower half of his body in a battle during the Civil War. And so he's, like, this fantastical engineer who built all these crazy things. And, it, and, you know, along the way, they come across, like, Selma Hayek, who has her, like, her own thing she's trying to achieve. I had a lot of problems with her arc, but continue. No, like, 100%. But it, it's, it's just, like, it's a romp. It's a super fun romp. They just keep getting into hijinks. There's gadgets. There's, like, I think some pretty decent action set pieces. I, I feel there's like... There's decent action set pieces, and there's fun gadgets. Yeah, I feel like we're... It is also one of the horniest movies I've ever seen. Oh, it's incredibly horny. But, like, for no reason. No, a- a- absolutely not. And, like, it's funny because, like, you know, again, I- I'll read gay into anything I possibly can. Like, absolutely. Th- there is almost, like... it's. I'm not going to go so far as say, like, a sexual tension between the two male leads... But, like, there is a kind of, like, chemistry there. You can almost kind of see, like, those two people eventually ending up just, like, cohabitating. Where they're, like, they're never going to really admit that they're a couple. But, like, yeah. they basically become one sort of thing. Standard fan f- fiction fodder. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's, it's, I mean, not to put... I mean, the movie also bends over backwards for both people to, like... For, for both Kevin Klein and Will Smith to be like, yeah, but Selma Hayek's so hot, right? Oh my gosh, she's so hot. We both are definitely into Selma Hayek. Whoa, oh, right? yeah, yeah, of course, because they have to be fighting over the same woman. It's, you know, it's, it's a trope that's been done to death. And like every time the she's there, and every time she's there, she's like, oh, Will Smith is so hot. Anyway, I was here for my husband. Anyway, bye. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it, do something. Yeah. I mean, look, to her point, he is. Oh, for like, sure. This is him at like, I mean, he's always been an incredibly charismatic person and obviously like with Austin's situation everyone's perspective on him is a little bit different but this is the movie he turned down the Matrix for which is like I think crazy but also I think kind of it's for the best he belongs in this movie more than I think he belonged in the Matrix absolutely the fact that his wife never forgave him is one thing and it's very hilarious right yes Um, and and not to say that he would not have been good in the Matrix but I I, I think Keanu worked perfectly in that and and I think because Keanu's a blank slate and Will Smith will never be a blank slate and that's and that's exactly especially not at this time no exactly that like he 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 is Will Smithing but he is so good at that yeah he's bringing the same energy to this that he did with like Independence Day and a lot of those like 90s like big yeah he he is especially this era, like, a genuine movie star giving movie star performances. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, there, there's a reason, like, there's, ev- to every generation, there is an ultimately ultra-charismatic person who doesn't necessarily need to change anything about their performance. We're just so excited to see this person in a new situation. Yeah. And for that generation, it was Will Smith. Yeah. In the same, like, Will Smith was the rock of 1999. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And for me personally, at least, better than The Rock. I agree with that. Yes. Even now, I think I like him better than The Rock. The, the Rock doesn't do it for me anymore. He, yeah. he, he's out of his, like, self-aware, self-deprecating phase, and now he's, like, venturing into, like, the Vin Diesel, I'm way too serious for anyone else around me phase. That, and you find out that he's hung out with the 
few too many billionaires. Yeah, there's also that too. So you know, yeah. it's kind of a problem. But hey, you know what? He 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 donated to the strikes. That is true. Good good for him. The Rock gave a million dollars to the strike fund, and that deserves to be celebrated because it, it inspired a bunch of other people to contribute to the strike exactly. fund. Exactly. And you know, and I, and I will say this: I think his two Jumanji movies are both incredibly fun. I agree with and, that as well. Uh, I thought the Jungle Cruise movie was not brilliant, but I had a really damn good time with it. I will also agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Less about Black Adam, the better. Yeah, I didn't see it. Don't need to. It's atrocious. Um, but yeah, okay. So yeah, that's basically the general premise of the movie. It's, yes. it's, a, it's a series of adventures. They have an ultimate Dr. Claw, and they're... Inspe- <laughs> yes, and they're he is 100% Dr. Claw, And yes. they're Inspector yeah. Gadgeting their way across the Old West. Yeah. That's the movie. Yeah, and, and I, I think for most people, like, it's pretty solid up into the giant spider, and for them, that's like the jump the shark moment. Really? That wasn't the jump the shark moment. The jump the shark moment for me was, like, a lot of the dialogue. Oh, yeah, it's it's absolutely clunky. And so, like, it, it's the clunky stuff, because I was watching with uh, my friend Presley, uh, who uh, listeners will have heard uh, for the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea episode. And oh. that was very fun. That would but be a fun one, yeah. Presley also loves that kind of world. Mm-hmm. And so just to then transition into Wild Wild West, and it yeah. didn't quite work, and it's just like, oh, no. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it's a movie that's, like, almost there, mm-hmm. but I fully acknowledge and just didn't get there at the end yeah. of the day. So. But it doesn't matter if it's something you enjoy. At the end of the day, it's I a do. movie. If it brings you joy, great. It does. But yeah. So what are we going to do for our version of the movie? Yes, I know. So I I have spent so much time trying to think about this. Like it's been like just constantly churning the back of my brain for a while now. Like the behind the scenes story is I had to delay recording this because of COVID. And so I've had like an extra, what, couple, two or three weeks to think <laughs> about this. And it's been going outside of my brain. It's, okay. So I, I want to give like a, a, a slight condition for like kind of the methodology I approach with this. So uh, I am a, a, as a tangent, but it relates, a huge fan of the Mission Impossible movies. Again, I love anything involving spies. And I think that the the uh, producing pairing of Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie has yielded, like, incredible work. Sure. Right? So we're talking, like, Edge of Tomorrow, the last three Mission Impossible movies, Top Gun Maverick. Like, say what you about Tom Cruise as a, as a person. The man knows how to make movies. And... Christopher McQuarrie, every time a new Mission movie comes out, does these really fantastic, like, three-plus-hour sit-down podcast spoiler specials with one of my all-time favorite podcasts, The Empire Podcast. And what's crazy about those movies is, like, how improvisational it is in terms of how they approach the making of it. And one of the things that he talked about in the regards to making of the most recent one, Dead Reckoning Part 1, is – I had no idea about this. I don't know if you talked about it before in another interview – I knew that they kind of made the script up as they went along. They kind of go in with like location, set pieces, ideas, whatever. They kind of improvise along the way. They do the same thing with their casting. They cast actors they just want in the movie and they figure out the roles as they go along. Cool. So like in the most recent one, Isai Morales is the villain. He's fantastic in it. Originally it was Nicholas Holt. And there's like, we love Nicholas Holt. We want him in this movie. They wrote a character for him uh, because of delays and whatever, of COVID, conflicts with the great... Nicholas Holt had to drop out, so they then just found okay, who's a new person that we like? Just are like we? Just, they have like, a great face, they have a great persona, or whatever. They brought in Issa Morella. Same thing with Haley Atwell. They're like, hey, like we just want Haley Atwell in this movie. We just want Vanessa Kirby in this movie, right? And then they just figure things out from there. So when I was like, I'm not saying like I'm going to insist we do that all the way through, but that's the method methodology I brought. Where I just like it is just a vomit list of like writers, directors, name like actors, concepts, and I'm just gonna like figure it out as I go. <laughs> One, because that's just ideas on my mind, too, because I had too many ideas to narrow it down. And three, I was like, I want to try a new challenge on this. Oh, uh, we, Casablanca, we did as well. Oh, shit. Yes, because that, that's my all-time favorite. <laughs> we totally favorite. did. Yeah, oh, my God. And I, I, I loved, I wanted that one specifically 
because it's my all-time favorite movie, and it's like a movie that I, 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 like full Harley believes should not be remade. And so I was like, well, what's the challenge on this? Yeah. So I was like, okay, what, what's a slightly different take on this? And so like that's what that's what I'm going here. So I have just like lots of different ideas to kind of like throw around, lots of different names to throw around. Okay, well then let's take a step back. Yes. So for me, if we're going to be going through about this that way, which I don't necessarily have a problem with, mm-hmm. we will need to do a little bit more than that. But mm-hmm. w- w- I think we have to talk about just the nature of the way this movie works. Yes. Because I think one of the interesting things about the movie is that, like, it is... The comedy of the movie tends to work for me because mm-hmm. e- even if the, the which character does this is different per, per scene, usually... You've got, you do have one straight character per scene and then everything else is weird around them. Yes. But sometimes that character changes. So sometimes Will Smith, Will Smith is the straight man and then like, uh, 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 Artemis Gordon is doing crazy technological gadget things around him. Yeah. And then you'll have another scene where, uh, 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 Artemis is the straight man as Will Smith is just saying the most ridiculous charismatic things and you're just like, what do you... Mm-hmm. And just like he's walking into the party and like completely breaking, uh, the, like he's just deciding to show up to a, a party full of like, Rich Southerners, right? Yeah, like Southern former slave owners. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like the like the the scene where he's like trying to get out of like being like they're gonna try and hang him, and he's like trying to get out of it by like trying to like oh hey like me calling you right and that was a positive thing. It's like all of a sudden now he's like the wacky yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, uh, but like but one of the and so there's a bunch of different weird things like that, and so like no matter what's happening in this movie, I feel like everyone we cast needs to be capable. Of both being taking the scene straight or being the comedic person. Yeah. Mm, yes, yes, yes. And yeah, I, I agree with for that. me, in terms of casting, that was important to me. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. The other thing I think we need to talk about is I think if we're building this movie around the cast as we go, mm-hmm. I think the other thing we need to do is build towards set pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, this movie is famous for the giant spider. Yeah. But we're doing a remake. We can't do that. No, we can't do the giant spider. So, what is... I still like the idea of it being very steampunk. Yeah. The other kind of things that steampunk is really known for are, like, giant dirigibles. Oh, and that's yeah. kind of another direction I think we can go. That That is fun, actually, yeah. Because, like, you know, when you think of westerns, obviously, you think of, like, trains. Mm-hmm. Like, But uh, in a world where Gore Verbinski's... Lone Ranger exists, which is again a not a good movie. No, but I will maintain that man knows how. I would say like he rivals Spielberg for knowing how to stage an action set piece. That is a shit film with an amazing train sequence at the end. So I feel like it's been done. It's hard to do again. Yeah, that is true. So I like the idea That's of like the, we like, do have the benefit of not many, not that many people have seen uh, Lone Ranger, and good for them. <laughs> no, tr- truly, but people have seen really? Bullet Train. Which is incredible. Ah, uh, yes, Bullet Train was fantastic. And I will say, the train sequence in the new Mission Impossible, also very good. I believe that. I've only ever seen the first Mission Impossible movie. To me, it's the best one. That is not to say that the other ones are not also excellent. I, it is, they're on my list of movies to eventually see. I just haven't done it. Yeah. There's so many other things to watch. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, podcast homework. Anyway. Of course. Yes, um, of course. But, like, so, I, I like the idea of the dirigible because I think we can get to have of playing with land, sea, and air. Yeah. And especially oh. as we play around with that, I think that that's important. Because if we're yeah. going truly steampunk, it's it's weird, just to, just left of reality ways of dealing with these different things. Yeah. Of like, you, you combine a helicopter and a hot air balloon, and then you're rocking and rolling. Yeah. And like, you take something and you go underwater, and you have to be able to surprise people. I feel like the big finality is the dirigible, especially if he's able to control and maneuver it, because then all of a sudden... That's the thing he can be like. Uh, that's the thing Doctor Arliss Lovelace can be using to threaten various towns. Yeah. Ooh, submarine. Because like nothing else has air power. Yeah. But a submarine's only going to be useful on the coast and in the Great Lakes. Right. Yeah. Like as you're just saying, like I could see like a submarine being a good like 
act one early act two set piece sort of thing like establishing this person has like really impressive technology can, yeah like, you know like again you could like sneak close to like washington dc or something like that mm-hmm. you know in a, in a submarine but like yeah i think for a, a, a big crazy bombastic set piece i agree with you yeah. like an airship is a really great way and to normally go. i'd have a conversation about when we're setting this movie but the movie's called wild wild west yes. it needs to be set in the wild wild west exactly so but so along those lines i was like trying to figure out like what what's like the in on this and i'm not necessarily suggesting we go this route but i want to explore the idea of like could this work as a legacy sequel interesting and again i think ultimately we have to go with like a full fresh take on it but i do want to take a few minutes like talk about that idea because like as i was thinking about this it's like i think what ultimately makes this movie work and i think for those who do love it and i'm i'm not alone uh shout out to my coworker kendra who also loves this movie we we talk about it frequently (laughs) like i think there is something to be said about like the idea of bringing the two of them back in a legacy sequel, like introduces new characters the way that like, you know, say Ghostbusters Afterlife did it mm-hmm. or other Scream? ones. Scream. Scream. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, Scream, I think is probably some of the most successful versions of that. Um, and again, like I think ultimately the better way to go is like to do a whole new casting. That's like a more fun exercise. I would agree if only because for anyone who knows history, the wild West didn't last long. It was maybe 20, 30 years. So I, okay. So there, I bring, I bring this up. I did look into this a little bit. So I just want, I'm not saying we do this. I want to throw out like this kind of idea. Cause I looked at like, okay, if the movie original movie was set in 19 or 1869. Okay. It's approximately like 25 years later. I was like, okay, what was happening in like the mid to early 1890s? And Obviously, like, there's a lot... I mean, everyone just thinks, like, the, the Old West. But, like, there's so much history that's happening at that time. Like, particularly, like, uncovered history, right? So, it's, like, obviously, the U.S. government and the way they treated Native Americans is, like, atrocious. There's, like, all the fallout from the Civil War still. I think one of the most interesting ones... And I, cause I, like, wrote, I wrote a bunch of these down. But <laughs> it was in June of 1890, data collected for the 11th United States census indicate that the spread of population into unsettled areas has resulted in the disappearance of the American frontier. The U S census bureau declares that it will no longer monitor Western migration in the country. And like basically like 1890 marks like the end of like the beginning of the end of the old West where it's like, there's no more of like that Western migration sort of thing. It's like, that is now considered like settled ish established territory. Now, obviously there's still like massive population migrations again into the aforementioned like handling of the u.s government with native american populations and taking control of their land but it's like so again i don't want to go down this route i just want to like touch on this concept i almost feel like there could be a leg sequel here where it's like it's set a little over like 20 years later i'm thinking like jim is retired gordon is now maybe like running the u.s secret service which they end up at the end of the first movie it's just enough time that you could bring in like maybe like Jim's like son or daughter or something like that. And it's basically like the idea of like the disappearance of the old West and the disappearance of cowboys and like what's happening next in the world. I think there is an interesting premise there, but ultimately I'm like, I think the big problem with that is you get one. Like you really, yeah. you really like, I think there is an interesting story to be told. And honestly, like maybe it's like a headier story than makes sense in this like very kind of like campy weird world. But you you can get one more. You can try to like, capitalize on like what love the does because the original, the star power of those two leads. You can tell like an interesting story there, kind of in the way like they attempted with Dial of Destiny with Indiana Jones. I'm not saying they were necessarily super successful at it, but like there is something there. But you can't then really like make another sequel with like a younger cast off of that because you're well, like you're you at the it, end of the old west. Yeah, so. Basically, what happens if you do a sequel to that movie? The next sequel is just World War One. 
No, yeah, and, and, that's and like, yeah. it's wild, wild World War One. Exactly. So it doesn't like it doesn't really work. But I was like, I could see a world where a legacy sequel works there, and I feel like there is enough love for the original that's worth at least acknowledging that as like what could have been a possibility. You know what you could do? What you could do is if the movie that takes place in the eighteen nineties. That's what the one I would call Wild 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 West. <laughs> what we have now is Wild Wild West. And yes. that takes place in the 1860s. If you do a movie that takes place in the 1840s and just call it Wild West, right, yes. then you get to make it about the gold rush. Now, the, the real important question is if you do a movie about the early 1800s, is it just called Wild or is it just called West? Well, ba- based <laughs> on the intrinsic value of West, I think you could just call it West. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> So yeah, I still think it makes more sense. Like at the end of the day, day like what, like a Wild West movie, like a Wild Wild West movie, you know, kind of like in the vein of the old TV shows, should just be sort of like an episodic adventure sort of thing. Sure. Like it should be like I honestly wish more franchises were like James Bond, not just because I'm a huge fucking fan of that franchise, but because like you think about the way like James Bond was structured prior to the Daniel Craig era of like there really wasn't a lot of connected tissue between. Like, yeah. You can just kind of jump at any point, appreciate this like standalone movie. Also part of the reason I kind of love, like, the 90s Tim Burton and the Jules Schumacher era of Batman, where it's just, like, you just jump in, and it's just a Batman movie. It's yeah. just a James Bond movie. And I think that's well, it, What you were describing in the 1890s is basically uh, Wild Wild West's Logan. Yes. No, it truly is. Yeah, which, again, like, I don't know if there's a market out there for anyone, maybe other than me, to want to see, like, what that could look like. Um, it sounds like it would make a really interesting comic book. I think, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think exactly. So. Especially because in a comic book, the characters can be locked in time. Yes, yes, 100%. So I, I think it's more interesting to then, like, go ahead and explore, of, like, what can make, like, an ongoing episodic adventure sort of thing. Kind of like, yeah. um, like, uh, like, honestly, like, Guy Ritchie's The Man from Uncle. Yeah. A, a movie which, other than featuring alleged cannibal Army Hammer. It's a good movie. It is, it is a good movie. It's very fun. And I think, again, everyone in it has, like, great chemistry. It's got fun. It's fun. It's got energy. It's, it's as long of, as Army Hammer, if Army Hammer wasn't in it, we might have had a sequel. No, honestly, yeah, and I, I think part of it too is like it just wasn't very successful at the box office, which is a shame. Which is a shame. Oh uh, yeah, but, but it, there's been a lot of movies that came out this summer that I should have gone to see, and I haven't yet because I'm a monster and I'm the problem. Well, I, also, it's just like, look, we're busy. Movies are expensive to go to. I know, but I wanted it. to see the new Ninja Turtle this movie. It I, is great. I know. I, I, I haven't re- seen I it. I do highly recommend it. So yeah, I, I, I think yeah, just like fun adventure, episodic. Just like, I don't know, maybe we can make it for like a slightly tighter budget than, than yeah. the original one, slightly. I don't think you need a runaway budget, especially because I, like, part of the reason why it has a runaway budget is because it's inventing CGI as it goes. Oh, no, 100%. And yeah. like, look, I just watched Twister recently, and they're inventing like crazy CGI things in that too. And that movie had an insane budget. Yeah. And like, you talk about people who are like practically making the things that are being replicated by CGI, and they're like, it cost me a tenth of what it would cost CGI to make this. And I just made it for real. Yeah. And sometimes it's important. And I feel like if you're going to be like playing with gadgets, it's more fun if the gadget's real. Yeah. Like I... if you're watching someone actually hold a crazy thing. Yeah. Was I just Except like... Except for maybe a dirigible. You don't need to make a real dirigible. No, but you, I mean, but you can do like, you know, you still like build the platform. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, the shit part of it, you know, as a practical set. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like everyone's love for the volume has maybe diminished a little bit in the last few years, but you could do... The volume? Right, okay, so The Mandalorian is like yes. the classic example. So that... Oh, the filming within the box. Yes, it's Got shot... It. The, the, that stage... Is, is that what it's called? It's called The Volume. Ah, okay. And so, in contrast to shooting on a green screen 
and then creating the entire environment digitally, what the volume allows you to do is basically like you, the set is like a stage and the walls and ceiling of the stage are all massive screens. And you project the setting onto them. Exactly. I've seen nine days. What? Don't worry about it. Okay. So it basically what it allows you to do is like, it, it allows you to film in a way that like, the compositing is going to feel more natural because yeah. you already have a little bit of the natural lighting or the natural environment and then you go sure. through and do a polish on it. I think, I think now we're getting to the point where it's like that style of filmmaking is kind of coming out of fashion a little bit just because you can start to like see the seams in a way. That Especially because initially. we can actually go to the West. Right, yeah. And that's exactly it. Like, Some of these places exist. No, exactly. But um, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like the directory you can film on like that of all yeah, 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 something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, like I think you'd be done practically. But also, is it just me and my my rose tinted Wild Wild West sunglasses, or which they can wear in this if you'd like? I, honestly, like I mean, fashion wise, do not hold up, but I still love it. Great. I feel like the CGI was not bad for being made in 1999, right? Am I, it's not. Am, am I wrong? You're not. Okay. It like I think there were a couple moments just with the spider, but even the spider's movements were jagged and fun, and like yeah. honestly. I thought the CGI pretty much held up. Okay, good. I, I'm glad it wasn't just me then. So when I was, I like, I, I, I will admit, like, I only started taking, I have, like, notes for maybe, like, the first, like, 30 minutes, and I was just, like, so caught up. Yeah, just, you're just watching the movie. just watching this movie yeah, that great. I enjoy. I don't, I don't expect more than that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, like some of the practical stuff is, is fun. Like, uh, who's his face is, uh, what was his name? Like, the dude with the ear. Was that Coleman? Oh, yeah, the... the no, that's the, General the, McGrath. Yeah, the, the general, yes. Yeah, General McGrath had, like, the weird ear trumpet. And you're just like, that's freaky as hell. It is. But it looks good. And by looking terrible. No, yeah, but, like, it, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's a it's a makeup effect, and it... All right. We're, we're going wildly off course. Let's start yes, with yes, this. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. The, the movie opens with magnets around someone's neck and then sending a spinning drill after them because that's how magnets work. It's not. So what I would like to say is let's start small. Mm-hmm. What would you like your death trap to be? Oh my god. Because like we're thinking steampunk. We're thinking some sort of contraption. Steampunk, yes. I, I don't know why, like, my first thought was, like, a massive catapult or something, which doesn't really make any sort of sense and feels very 1960s Batman, but that's literally the first thing that popped into my head. It's not bad. So, yeah. Massive catapult's fun. Real simple. Yeah. And you, it's hard to run away from a massive catapult because you're just in the massive catapult. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, but I, I, I love this idea you thought about, like, these set pieces. I'll admit, I didn't necessarily, like, think you like, set piece element of it. Like, so what, what are some of the ideas that you had for, for set pieces? Okay, this one is horrible and terrifying. Mm-hmm. But hear me out. Hamster balls. Are you just thinking about the Avengers again? I'm not. Because <laughs> here's, here's what makes it a death piece. is like, they, they put someone in this giant glass ball. Yeah. And it's like, or it is a, it's, it looks glass, but there's like contraptions and everything all around it. Yeah. And the, and Dr. Arliss Lovelace says, okay, you're free to go. And so they, they start running. They can't, you can't get out of it, but they're running because if they can make it to someone like that can get them yeah, out, yeah. they'll be safe. But as they're running, they're spinning it and the spinning motion of it causes the entire hamster ball to constrict. Oh, that's very clever. And I so like that. Yeah, they can go. They can run as far as they want, but there is a limit to how far they can go because event because like you can't make it very far, and you either choose to get baked in the sun in the hot glass, yeah, or if you keep moving, eventually you'll crush yourself to death under the the movement of the ball itself. That's fun. It's very so, fun. So that's my pitch just out of the blue that I just made up now. It's amazing. It's great. It's uh, much better than giant catapult. Giant. <laughs> it's different. Because part of what makes it interesting is because you also need to be able to, like, you have someone die in it 
first and yeah. see like the problem and then you get to have the horrific body horror later of just finding like a squished ball of a person right and then later you can you can have like the 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 james west character run for it and the other character be like i'm gonna wait and see what happens and so the other person ends up coming back and you get and you get to make your great joke of like is it cold out there <laughs> just in the in the much smaller right, yeah everything everything shrunken yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and but, but then like basically like you have this dilemma of if you stay you die if you run you die and they yeah. have to figure out their own way out of it contraptions or no yeah that, and, that, and, yeah and, that's really fun and you don't get to do it in a way that's like oh there's my toolkit floating down the river I forgot I had that yeah no it's that infuriated me it's clunky all right I will fully acknowledge. <laughs> It, it is clunky. This movie needs two more drafts, and then it's perfect. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I, what, I, what I like about that idea is, like, you're bringing in, like, the same element of the opening of that, which is, like, again, like, you either stay in place... And die. And die, or you run and you die. Because mm-hmm. like, the old west, like, you will die of exposure. You need yeah, to move. Exactly. But, like, that's, I think, a much, like, more, like, kind of, like, grounded, but still fantastical, like, mm-hmm. fun way of bringing that in there yeah. that's not just you know, completely botched science. So that's our early death trap. And then from our death trap, we need to move into kind of the nature of the characters. I have James West still being a black guy. It'd be weird not to be. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It's like, I I was trying to think about this too, of like, one of the things that I love, I I don't know if this is necessarily done well, and I don't think I'm the right person to like say whether it works well or not, but I like the fact that like, they do address in the movie like what it would be like to be a black authority figure in an incredibly racist post-civil war world Mm -hmm. again like i'm not the person to say whether like they actually handled it well or not i'm just saying that i appreciate that they did include that element in there as well and i think we're now more like more of an era where you can just like you know we have like things like bridgerton where it's like oh like what if this world existed where like racism wasn't a thing i don't think we can really get away with that in the post-civil war america frankly we can't get rid of it in modern america nope so but I, I agree with you. I think it still makes sense to, like, have that lead be black. And I think you... I mean, the problem there is, like, you then are trying to, like, follow in the footsteps of Will Smith. But, like, we're having to deal with that problem no matter what. Yeah, yeah, that, that's going to so. exist anyway. The one thing that I think we do need to have a conversation about is the fact that there is... There's drag in this movie, repeatedly, in weird ways. And some of it works, some of it doesn't. And there's also some, just, like, sexual fluidity of this movie that I think mm-hmm. also needs to be addressed. And... Uh, so I uh, I made the character playing Artemis Gordon a a known gay, and I think that that's I, important because I yeah. think like if we're going to be dealing with one kind of, especially at this time, societal outcast, I think we should have two, yeah. but just in different ways. I, I I agree with you. I feel like he uh, he has sort of like the um, the persona of like a dandy. Yeah, I think it might have been the term they would have used euphemistically at the time. Maybe. Like ba- basically, what I did was I had two outcasts and then my um selma hayek character i just ma- i made the badass of the group like mm-hmm. she's gonna eventually be the muscle yes yes i like that as well i mean not to say that the james west character isn't but like much more m- much more um in a a chris pine in the dungeons and dragons movie kind of character i fucking love that movie it's so good it's so damn good but um, yeah that style of character no i i agree with you i think like i feel like the only interesting thing like Selma Hayek gets to do is, like, reveal that she's, like, tricked them all the way through. Like, she's had, like, like and, a secret and one-upsmanship, but also, like, Any necessarily... single person who's ever watched a movie before would be like, yeah, no. No. Yeah. Clearly, she's playing them. No. and, and She I, should be doing more. It's exactly. I, I have an appreciation for the fact that she's playing them, but she's still very much just, like, pl- like 
in that process still is mostly just like a sex symbol is just yeah. like you know a damsel in distress she's basically thing. there to be ogled yes 100 percent. and it's uh uh very cringy yes um but okay so in terms of just like the nature of the characters yes um I, I don't even necessarily have a problem with both of them going after Dr. Arliss Lovelace for similar, or like General McGrath and versus Dr. Arliss Lovelace and just like working their way through everything. Like, I don't have a, like much of a problem with the plot, mm-hmm. but we basically just need to come up with like other things for them to do. Like, uh, like they track uh, General McGrath down at uh, like a, a halfway house bar kind of place. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a problem with anything that happens in that scene, just some of the lines in it. Yeah, like when I was watching rewatching the beginning, I was like, I think like the opening set piece, which is like kind of like coming from like two different scenes that eventually like merge, which is you know there's one where Jim is on like a, a stakeout doing the classic Bond thing of like fooling around this girl while like trying to do his job, and then of course eventually he has to, like go do his job and um, you know uh, deal with all of that. I think that part of it for me worked better than the stuff at the saloon. I think every yeah. time we jump to the saloon, like it just starts with like no pun intended, given what Artemis is doing, drag a little bit. Whereas, a little like, bit of a pun intended. I guess so. I, I think at this point now it's just like subconscious. My brain just can't not do it. <laughs> but I, I, I think the gym stuff is like, it's a little more fast paced. It's fun. It's frenetic. He's like, you know, he like he's on like the, the horse drawn thing, transporting nitro. And like, I do love the line of like, this is not how you transport nitro. Yeah. Again, like sometimes like, the character self-aware sometimes it's not it's wildly inconsistent but i think it's in those moments it works and it works do there. you want our dr arliss lovelace to be half a person keep in mind i also gender swapped dr arliss lovelace i i don't think so like i was reading up on the original show which i i've never seen and i guess in in the original one he's he's like a little person interesting dwarf? okay little person yeah so he's in the original version he's like a, a little person so in in this one they did like this whole like half thing I don't. Th- I don't know if you necessarily need to have that element. I think that might have been a little bit pulling from like the classic uh, now problematic Bond trope of like, oh, all your villains have some sort of like disability or disfigurement sure. or something like that. I think you can just have that character just be that character. I don't, sure. I don't. I don't think you need to give him like an otherness necessarily. No, but I would like to lean into that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and not the otherness, but the the character of appearing quote-unquote, uh, uh, societally-based normality. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're going to be leaning into the steampunk of it all, I think our Darlis Lo- Dr. Arliss Lovelace should be very into body modification. Oh, okay. I, yeah, that's fun. I like, like that, yeah. on the surface, again, I gender swap, so I'm going to be using uh, cheer pronouns, but, like, mm-hmm. on the surface, she's very, like, seems very standard, like, oh, just a lady doing her lady things, and then yeah. does a, a um, what's Lex Luthor's assistant's name? Miss Tessmacher? Lex Luthor's assistant in which Mercy. version? Oh, I'm thinking of like the original, like Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve movie. No, no, no. With, I'm thinking with, of, with Gene Hackman constantly like Miss Yeah, no, I'm thinking of uh, Mercy, where it's like, oh, okay, she just yes. like Mercy, and then all of a sudden her arm turns into a cannon. Okay, right, yeah. And I think you could literally get to the end of the movie, and uh, her each leg splits into four different other legs, and then she just like spider crawls over the ceiling and goes after uh, whoever she's giving chase to in the moment. Right. Okay. Yeah, I like, like that, someone yeah. who like. Is didn't necessarily have anything wrong with her, but she is she is just seeking to perfect the 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 nature of humanity, right? Yeah. And she's willing to cross any threshold to do so. <laughs> yes, and like there wasn't anything quote unquote wrong with her, but she just keeps finding ways to improve herself and everything around her. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, she also destroys it. 
I like it. So that like that ends up being her because like we could do the whole the South has betrayed me by surrendering. I am Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> but I I think that's a little bit silly, mm-hmm. and I think that's been done. And I feel like th- this can exist. Like I am willing to take the funding from anyone who is willing to w- recognize my genius. Like mm-hmm. man, I am going full uh, Daniel Craig, aren't I? I love his terrible. Southern it's so accent. good. I will watch all of those movies forever. I like look again. It's been said a billion times at this point. Like the biggest James Bond fan you ever meet. I yeah. honestly think I prefer him in the Knives Out movies. And that's, <laughs> and like and not that that's not he's my favorite James Bond of all time. But I think he's just so he's so good. He's, he's just you know what he's having a good time. Everyone in those movies yep. is having a good time, and it just shows. Yes, it absolutely I mean, does. To be fair, especially in the second one, they're on like you know an island in the was like the Aegean or something yeah, like something that. Like, like that. yeah, I mean it's basically like hey, let's all like take a trip to Greece and yeah. make a movie. Sure oh, we've time. all been locked down for a really long time, and we need to do something to escape. And there, here's a way for us to do that and have a blast doing it. Yeah. Oh no. I'm sure. I'm sure everyone at the first is like, they go to Greece. We had fucking Boston. <laughs> yeah. I. I mean, look. I love the first movie too, but like the second movie is so much fun. I like for me the second movie is like giving Clue energy a little bit. Yeah. And I. I. I had. I. I saw. I did go see that in theaters. I made it. I absolutely made an effort to like go see it in a theater. I absolutely loved it. I remember inviting you to go see it with me in a theater, and you weren't available. Well, I'm a schmuck, aren't I? Well, because it was a WJ screening, and I remember like specifically reaching out, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I know if I could have, I would. I would. I'm, sure. I'm assuming it was one of the many nights I was recording a podcast. Oh, um, again, I'm sure. Um, but I, I did go see it in a theater, and then I watched it with my roommate after it came out on Netflix, and he like didn't really. He wasn't really a fan of the first one, but I got him to watch the second one, and like. We it probably took us like three and a half. We're hours. talking about Glass Onion. Yes, yeah, so, sorry, Glass Onion. Yeah, talking about Glass Onion. Probably took us like three and a half hours, like actually get to the thing because he kept pausing to like either want to talk about what he thinks going to happen or like like acknowledge like clever little things that they were doing along the way. It was one of the like most fun ways to see that movie. So your roommate's version of enjoying a movie is torturing everyone around him. I, it helped that I already seen it, so okay. it wasn't like I was feeling distracted by it. Like sure. it was like it, it was like. Watch a movie I already knew I enjoyed with like an active ongoing commentary, and that a part of it was that does sound fun, quite enjoyable. But you know, yeah, we're talking about like crazy accents. Okay, so Um, like that—that's kind of what I think the nature of our villain should be. Um, Yes, I'm on board with all that. uh, I don't know what else to talk about in terms of like character motivation, other than it's just uh, Doctor Arliss Lovelace is trying to take over the country, and these two knuckleheads are trying to stop her, and then they run into Rita Escobar, who needs their help to like and basically like they all like they all three of them end up teaming up because they all turn out they have the same purpose of being there and it's like well fuck may as well work together yeah i know i I agree with you i think like i know in the original one i think i don't necessarily want to do another like this is how everyone meets each other sort of thing like again like i love how they did that in the man from uncle but I got to the end of the movie, like, I had a great time with this. I would love to see a sequel where we just get to, like, run with things. Yeah, well, you know what movie did it better? Mm-hmm. Uncharted. You know what? I would agree with that, actually. Unchar- I actually had a fun time with Uncharted. I like it. So I, walked really, with, I, I watched it with my friends Cam and Kamara, and uh, Kamara, who you met, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And basically, we sat down expecting to do, like, a bad movie night. Yeah. But we didn't... To be fair, none of us had ever played the video game. So we Same. understand that, like, it doesn't Same. play the video game. So yeah. I have no emotional connection to that. Exactly. And I will, again, grant you, it's a bad movie, but it's a very fun movie. It's a fun time. I, I had a fun time with it. And, and we, all of us were like, this wasn't nearly as bad as any of us thought it was going to be. Yeah. And we genuinely, all of us enjoyed it. I, I'm 100% with you. I, I feel like movies, I, I don't need to see origin stories for everything at this no. point. No. I, I, I think, especially on a movie like this, which is absolutely, like, playing with the well-established concept of, like, the buddy cop movie. Yeah. We've seen this done a million times. This is just like, 
it is like buddy cop James Bond on horseback. Yep. And it's like, we get, we know how all of these things work. We can just jump in. They're already partners. They have this odd couple energy going on. We're used to it. They can meet like the third person, kind of like the, the someone, it can be someone who like, like this per like I, I would say the Rita Escobar definitely works in like the gray of like, she isn't a law person. She isn't like a bad guy. It's just like, she's working to like help individual people. And doesn't really care what other people she steps on in order to help them. Yes. And it's like, she's helped she's helped them in some instances and hurt them in other instances. Those are other adventures. Read episode, read issue 117 to, to hear about the adventure they're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's what happened in, what is it, for uh, a Black Widow and a, a bow and arrow guy. Hawkeye. Hawkeye, thank you. Yes. Uh, Istanbul? Uh, Budapest. Budapest, yeah. Or Budapest, as they love to say. For some well, reason. it is Buda and Pest. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, you know the English language. It loves uh, uh, writing things out in English letters and then assuming that everything is pronounced the way those English English letters are pronounced, despite the fact that they're saying something that is actually in a different language. Exactly. Yeah. So no, I'm, I'm all for that. I love the idea of like just jumping in. This dynamic exists. We get to roll with it. I feel like again when I was reading up about the original show, like the whole plot was basically, you know, okay, so like this is off of like the the Wikipedia, but like, okay, like. Also, the show was The Wild Wild West. So we could just bring back the, the definitive article. Could. But it's like, okay, two Secret Service agents who their mission is to protect President Ulysses S. Grant in the United States from all manner of dangerous threats, right? So I feel like you can roughly do that. I guess if there was like uh, maybe a slight need to like contextualize things in the modern eye, it's like I think we can all agree that like U.S. government at the time was not the greatest. Yes, definitely better than the U.S. U- government Ulysses in the Confederacy. S- Ulysses S. Grant was not a good president. And that's exactly it. I, I feel like I feel like that that's what they can be. They can be Secret Service agents. If I think there's maybe like a slightly modern like turn on it, is I feel like whatever this threat is, it shouldn't necessarily be about like directed towards Grant and the U.S. government. Maybe it has more to do with just like I don't need a them to be people. associated with the with the government. I, I guess you can. Uh, I guess you can kind of get away with like, it. You can Kingsman it up. You could Kingsman. I mean, like, or you know, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, you could Charlie's Angels it up. You you could you could have them to be their like own independent thing like you know or you could just do like i think what's interesting is what like at this point now like every bond every mission possible do is which is like there's like a kind of recognition of like oh like someone use like working as a u.s operative is on the best so they just go rogue all the time sure so like, i think i think you can have them just be their own thing they go rogue i think whatever it is like i think the the threat should be targeted towards like a a city a town a community a group like i think that's like what I don't think the stakes need to be, like, absolutely massive. Like, oh, this is going to, like, destroy the country or whatever. We're going to, like, retake the whole thing. I think you can just make it more grounded in, like, a little more, like, just personal stakes of, like, oh, like, we're here to defend this person, this group, this community, this whatever. So it's, like, a little more grounded, a little more relatable. And I think you avoid some of, like, having to deal with, like, the... Here's what I think you can do. history. What I think you can do is I think you can start the movie, hamster ball person gets killed... Blah, blah, blah. That's the teaser. I think you can start the movie having James West and Artemis Gordon completing an assignment they have from mm-hmm. the U.S. government. Yeah. And as they're completing it, James West spots something. Like, he spots uh, General McGrath escaping as they capture everybody else. And then as they're turning everything in, uh, James West wants to keep going. But Artemis is like, no, we have to stay here and finish the job and turn things over and do the thing and complete the job because that's what we get paid to do. Yeah. And, like, keeps James West there. 
But then as soon as everything's over, James West takes off and then Ar- like Artemis has to chase after James West because he's going he's going rogue. Yeah. And he's basically just doing his own thing because he's like, great, I did that job. Now we're going to go do the thing that, that like, I've been trying to track this guy down for years. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, think, that's, I think that's a good way of doing it. And I, I think, I will say, like, maybe, like, to, to differentiate from the, the, the 99 version and also just, like, again, to throw a little, little bond in there. I love the idea of also just, like, that whatever that mission is, like, it's a cold open of them, like, in media res on a mission. And it, we, need to, we need to start by establishing how good they are at completing a job yes. before we can watch them struggle to complete a job. Like, we need to know that they are competent before we can establish incompetencies and, and, hilar- exactly. and hilarious screw-ups. Exactly. I, I think you really can do it in, like, the, the, like, the classic Bond format of, like, opening mission. I think you're right. I think you can set up an element of that, the rest of the film, in that opening in meteorized mission or whatever sort of thing. But I feel like whatever that like, again, like the, the sort of like hamster ball initial death thing is, I feel like that's like the first scene after the title sequence sort yeah. of thing. If like we have that like opening thing is to establish who these characters are to each other, what their dynamic is, how they work together, how they are successful despite the friction and the antagonism that bouncing off yeah. each other. And then it's like, okay, and now we establish like, now here's the new threat that's going to carry through for yeah. the whole rest of the So thing. basically at, we have the teaser. Act one is then them going out to, 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 track down and take down uh, General McGrath. But in doing so, they take down... They, they General McGrath slips through their fingers and they re- realize that they screwed up what Rita Escobar had been doing. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, she's mad at them, but now she's going to make them help her fix the problem that they caused. So in Act 2, we're discovering Dr. Arliss Lovelace. We're just finding out what Dr. Arliss Lovelace has planned and, like, all the evil plot, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to fail to take that down. And then Act 3 is the big grander thing of them. The, the, like, the, the plan is actually happening and it's succeeding, but now the, the three of them are the only thing that stands in the way between... Dr. Arliss Lovelace and conquering the Old West or uh, yeah. whatever. What, yeah, whatever the big looming threat yeah, yeah, yeah. is. So. Uh, uh, st- like, if Dr. Arliss Lovelace has command of both the sea and the sky, what she could, she could be doing is if she wants to build a train, she can build a dra- train that burrows underneath and will let her go wherever she wants to. Yeah. It gives her own personal autonomy. But then we see the train pass under a town and it just completely destroys the town <gasps> because it's basically tremors. I do love, like, a massive, like, underground drill. Yeah. Yes, and it's like yeah, we haven't had a lot of those actually. We haven't, and it's a it's very steampunk. Yeah, and it also allows us to play with just the nature of what she's doing. Of just like I just want autonomy. I just want to be able to go wherever I want to go, travel whatever I want to go. It doesn't care about the consequences. The the country controls the land, but how deep do their rats go? And just like if I bury down far enough, it's free country, and I can go wherever I want. When I'm on the ocean, there are no laws, and I believe there are no laws if I'm down under the ground as well. Yeah. And there we go, and that's what they're trying to stop. No, yeah, yeah, I'm instead all of a giant that. spider, it's a giant worm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a giant drill. Yep, dirigible. All these fun things. Yep, and li- literally they can have like they take the drill, they shut it down, they make it surface back up, and then just boom, boom, and then the dirigible goes up, and you're like, what? No, I know how to go down. I don't know how to go up. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Good. Okay, that's our movie. Let's talk about cast. Yes. Obviously, we have to start with James West. Yes. Of Wild Wild West fame. Yes. Because obviously the movie's talking about him. Mm-hmm. I got it. I have, I have such a ridiculously long list. But I'm you like... are, but you're going to have to pick one. Okay. I will t- I will get us started. Yeah, go go ahead and go first. Yeah. I, the, some other cast members I'm like very much settled on in some ways. Great. Always open discussion, but like I'm less so on West, so I'm, Great. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. So for this, I wanted someone who is intrinsically cool. I think that's important. And yes. Like, and that you need someone who is inherently cool, can be funny but is more importantly like the stoic cool gunslinger and every once in a while just has a comedic zinger that just is like oh that was really really funny Mm -hmm. 
And so, like, I kind of want to go with Lakeith Stanfield. Mm, he's on my list as well. Yeah, he's in yeah. Knives Out, but he's also in Atlanta, which is a comedy, and he's in Sorry to Bother You. Like, he's yeah. a very funny guy. He's also way younger than anyone than you'd think he's he is. He's like that. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's a child. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's in Haunted Mansion, which was not great, but he's good in it. Yep, there you go. Um, but, like, he, he, I think of him as kind of, like, capturing the spirit of what they're going for with, uh, with Will Smith, but in a way that is modernized and is also like just playing it as a character as opposed to trying to do an imitation yes no i i'm i'm very much in agreement with you i think i think he's a very strong choice like i'll just throw us like some of the names i came up with i, I think yours is the best way to go because he's on mine as well but like i had like a like john boyega i feel like he can kind of kind of do that range he's got the charisma like a john david washington is fantastic maybe a little bit too far on the serious yeah. side of things i mean obviously we all love like michael b jordan i think he can pretty much do anything Winston Duke, I feel like. Also, I mean, I use Winston Duke for everything. It also has that range. I think he'd be good. He's great in Nine Days. Again, I don't, I don't know what that is. I, you should really watch it. Okay. It's a great movie. I th- yeah, so like, I, mean, I think there's a lot of like the familiar names you'd expect. Yeah. I think like Aldous Hodge, who again is like really good in um, uh, Black Adam. Even the movie's not, he's good in it. He plays sure. Hawkman in that. Oh, great. Um, I think the only like like slightly different choice that I would have gone for, but I think I don't. I hate to say this, I don't know if he has quite the star power yet, which I think Lakeith Sanfield does. But this actor, uh, Greg Tarzan Davis, mostly goes by Tarzan. He is a small role in Top Gun Maverick as one of the pilots. He has a supporting role in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 as, like, kind of like the sidekick, sort of, to Shea Wiggum's, you know, like, uh, I forget what he is, like, FBSA, whatever, who's, like, hunting down Ethan Hunt because, of course, he goes rogue. Yep. Surprising there. Like, a guy who just, like, great charisma, great on-screen presence... I feel like this would be, like, the huge bump up for him. I don't know if... I think he has the capability to lead something. Is he there yet? I don't know. I'm happy to go with him. He seems great. It's a name I haven't heard before, and I'm always more than happy to go with someone I've never cast before. Okay. You know, and uh, like I said, uh, go listen to those Christopher McCoy spoiler specials. Truly, it's like filmmaking 101. Like, you will learn a... I mean, like, what he's able to pull off, he can only pull off because he's been doing this for like sure. thirty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's it's true. It's genuinely fascinating. Fascinating interviews. So then, who is this Artemis Gordon that you have that you're uh, dead set on? Harvey Guillen. Oh, I mean Harvey Guillen's great. I I love what we do in the shadows. Yeah, what we do in the shadows. He's got a small part in Blue Beetle, a very fun movie. I quite liked it. I need to see that too. He's great as the voice of Nightwing and Harley Quinn. Like, I agree with you. I, he's I, Nightwing and in, in Harley Quinn. Great version of it. Like, I I love the Harley Quinn show. Like it's so good. It's so good. It takes for tangents of glory, but I love this. He like that show takes like all the characters, has them start at a point that's like very familiar and very comic accurate, and then just goes in the most ridiculous directions yes. absolutely possible. What they've done with the Joker in that show is so good. The Joker in that is so fantastic. Bane, like Bane is so good. My favorite version of Bane, and and the Nightwing in that is like this very much just like kind of like not useless but a little bit hapless like he's like kind of out of his depth all all the time because he has just like no emotional maturity whatsoever because he was raised by like a man with like the emotional range of a teaspoon yeah so i think he's right i I, so when you were talking i have a a long 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 list of a whole bunch of different he's also great as the voice of Perito in uh the last wish the puss in boots movie (gasps) i need to see that i've heard it's really fantastic it's so good yes i've heard it's really really good i watched that movie and then my friend was like i'm gonna put on the first puss in boots movie and we were like this isn't as good i don't yeah i don't know don't watch the first one bother with it yeah don't it's just Um, the second it's genuinely it might be a perfect movie yeah so I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I feel like it's much more interesting to go ahead and like cast an out queer actor in that role 
lean into that. And I, and Harvey was already on my list, but when you kind of brought up that idea for me, he like I think he's also probably the, maybe the only out gay actor on this entire list, sadly. But I think the reason he rose up there is like I feel like he can do that sort of like like a little bit foppish, a little bit of dandy. Like I feel like he's someone that is always always comes across as like capable, but you're gonna immediately underestimate him. Like a lot of that comes from like his Guillermo persona sure. on, on what we do in the shadows. I mean, it's, it's like, how we were all introduced to him, exactly. But I, I think some of the other roles he's done has shown that, like, I mean, unsurprisingly, like, he's a fantastic actor. Like the range is more there, but like you can also like take him as someone who like you can also see him as like someone you can take seriously but like at first glance maybe you wouldn't and he obviously has like the comedy chops i i think he can really bring a lot of that like lovable energy that i think works really well right there and and if we end up do going with 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 tarzan i feel like those two would make a good pairing but i'm also very curious who you have on this so I wanted to go with someone who we don't think of being as funny. It's also a person who I kind of only picture in a singular role. Mm-hmm. He's also in Cocaine Bear and probably other things too, but we really only know him from Modern Family, and that's Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Okay, I do love Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Lovely, lovely person. I think he's too old. That's fair. That's a reasonable assessment. Uh, yeah, like, I, I mean, I think you do need people who are in, like, their early mid 30s on this i think that's reasonable i was trying to go for kind of like the the kevin kleinness of it all in the 100%, character and 100%. i do think that like i'm kind of go i was kind of going for a one for one yeah and i feel like jesse tyler ferguson is kind of that character yeah and i think he can do that and and create that and be kind of a quirky pitch man who like is like like pulling random gadgets out of everywhere. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I feel like there. I had never thought of this, but I think you're right. I think there very much is like a modern Kevin Klein kind of energy to him. I just don't know if he's the right age for it. Unfortunately, that's fine. I'm more than happy to go with Harvey Guillen mm-hmm. because he's great and I love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've definitely cast him in a bunch of different things before. He's just so good. If we end up coming back to it uh, in terms of just like you get everybody else, we'll see what happens. Okay. But I think largely, I'm more than happy to go with Harvey Guillen. Okay. Let me tell you about my Dr. Arliss Lovelace, the person who is doing body modifications and slowly changing everything about her and, like, yes. take, like just wants to be able to do her own thing and make make the world that she sees fit because she's building it literally from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And we see her being a real weirdo, and she's someone who can literally lean into being, a, a, a like, a crazy side character, but isn't a very good lead. But that's what makes her a good villain. Can I, can I guess? Yeah. Is it Kate McKinnon? It is Kate McKinnon. Ah! I love Kate McKinnon. She's great. Yeah. And she doesn't, like, I was having a conversation, like, when I was thinking about making a Kate McKinnon, that she doesn't get good movies to do. No, no, she really doesn't. Like, like she, the best movie she had was The Spy Who Dumped Me, and most recently, Barbie. Yes. And again, I have not seen The Spy Who Dumped Me, but I saw a clip recently, and she was fantastic in it. And then, yeah, and she was great in Barbie. Yeah. Um, and she's in an entirely different movie than everyone else in the Paul Feig Ghostbusters, but also probably the best thing in it. That is also true. Kate McKinnon for Dr. Arliss Lovelace is sure, just, like, really leaning into, like, the steampunk and the craziness of it all. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I had a bunch... I didn't I didn't go... Um, I didn't cast, any, like, any uh, female actors on this, any actresses. I was, like... I don't know. I was, like, just going through lists and just coming across people, like, oh, like, they just have, like, an interesting energy to yeah. them. Like, you know, like, some random names I have on here, like, um, like an Evan Peters, a Jesse Plemons, a, a Josh Hartnett, and, like, someone you don't sure. expect to be, like, a villainous role, but could be good. Dan Stevens. But, like, 
I, I think Kate McKinnon brings an entirely different energy to it that I'd, yeah. be, I'd be intrigued by. And I want to see her, like, really lean into the body, body, body modification of it all. Like, stuff can fall off, stuff can break, and she's, like, fixing it on the fly and, like, doing weird shit. Yeah. And, like, she's absolutely going to surround herself with a bunch of weirdos and is going to hit on everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, a bunch of and that And that's the rule. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to Rita Escobar. Mm-hmm. Who did you have for Rita Escobar? So... I don't necessarily have, like, this person cast as Rita. I was just trying to think of, like, who who would I love to see in this movie that can, like, bring something exciting? Sure. And truly, it was one name. Amber Midthunder. Who oh, is yeah, from the Prey. star of Prey. Who I'm like, if if anyone's been sleeping on Prey, it, it should have had a theatrical release. It is excellent. It is an excellent film. It's such a great evolution of, like, the Predator concept. I was very fortunate. I got to go to a screening, so I did actually get a chance to see it in a theater. Sure. And I love that movie. I think she, like, gives a movie star performance. I'm like, cast her as X-23 whenever they get around to doing the X-Men. I want to see her in everything, and I feel like we haven't really seen her in a lot since Prey. And I'm just thinking of someone who, like, will come in give a movie star performance, like bring charisma. She can do the action. I feel like she can also give a little bit of that. Like, Hey, like I'm like a little more serious and more competent than the two people that like two idiots that I'm stuck with. Also the, playing off of them. The only thing I see her cat, like coming up, be like be casting that's coming up that I'm like, actually like, because she was in Centurion, the dancing stallion in 2023. And then like, she's in like three things and like two things in post-production. One I've never heard of. And one is avatar, the last airbender where she will be princess UA. Oh, right on. Great. I guess that's an episode. Yeah, I guess probably. Probably an episode. This lady's going to turn into the moon. You know what? Good for her. Yeah. She you know what? Um, so, that, that's that's good casting. Yeah. Um, I was leaning into, like, the whole heavy of it all. Like, I want someone who is tough and can, like, kick everyone's ass. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly the kind of character she plays in Doom Patrol. She's also in Orange is the New Black. I went with Diane Guerrero. Goodetto. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm. She is fantastic. She is. And... She obviously is older than Amber Midthunder, but not by a lot. Yeah. And I I see her very much as being able to, like, kick and spit and scratch her way through the Old West in ways where everyone is just a little bit afraid of her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of important for... Again, I was recasting my idealized version of Rita Escobar. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what I was thinking. Okay. I like that. Yep. We both have two good people. Uh, I'll just go back at the end and make it whichever one of us got least the less number of people. <laughs> okay. um, I have Coleman, the guy who was like on the train, yeah, like running the train, just the old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, cast someone who I saw in Scrubs. I saw her in Bullet Train. She's in Sixteen Bit High School. She's just a very much a character actress. You won't have seen her in everything. Her name is Nancy Daly, and she's like kind of a, a kooky old lady. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I recognize, I recognize the face. I don't know if you recast this character at all. I, I, I didn't. I, I was. I was I just went through way too many names for like that's the, fair the the major four. Oh yeah, sure. I'm all down. I'm all yeah. down for uh, just kooky old lady running Nancy, running, running yeah, the little Nancy uh, Dale, yeah. transport. Like we might not even have our like train that goes anywhere in this, but like whatever. Just yeah, like why some, not some kooky assistant. I, I, I think person. I think the wanderer has to be in there somewhere. The the wander the wanderer. It's the name of the train. Oh great, there mm-hmm. you go. Mm-hmm. The other two characters I have are General McGrath and President Grant. Okay. I, oh, shit. Yeah, I guess you kind of do have to cast President Grant. Well, here's the thing. In the original movie, it's Kevin Klein. Yeah, exactly, because he's going to do like, a role thing. Yeah, but, like, uh, whatever. 
I think it's more interesting if you get kept the, the character to actually look like another human being instead of just having them both be the same person. Yeah. Did you have Jennifer, uh, General McGrath? Uh, I did not. You just had the core four? Yes. Okay, well then in that case, I'm going to give you Amber Midthunder. Okay, fantastic. Yes! Like, that was honestly, of all the names on there, that's the one I care about the most. Great. I just, like, genuinely, don't sleep on Prey. It's incredible. You know darn well I can't watch it. It's, Why not? It's too scary. It's not scary, though. It, it's the kind of it's the kind of thing that would get stuck in here in, in a way that would really trigger my anxiety. Okay, okay I guess that's fair. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's more action than it is horror. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic. God, she's so good. So then let me tell you about ge- my General McGrath and my President Grant. Sure. Uh, my General McGrath, the weird ear guy. Yes. Uh, I wanted I wanted just a cranky old man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Someone giving Ted Levine energy. Who's it, always exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a guy who's been in Mudbound and Community and Breaking Bad. It's Jonathan Banks. So, like, you want a cranky old man? Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks. Great. Great, great choice. Perfect choice. That's all you need. He's, yeah. he's someone who's been around for a really long time doing bad things in this world, and uh, for and that, that's how he's made it to this old age, and darn tootin' James West is the one who's going to bring him down. Yep. I love it. And that brings us to President Grant. I, look, he's in some things. He's an unbearable way to massive talent. He's in Neighbors. He's in History of the World Part Two. And part of what makes this particular casting funny is that in History of the World Part Two, he plays President Grant. Who is this? Ike Barinholtz. That, you know what? That's a great choice. I, I was going to just, I'll top my head throughout John Hamm, but I'm with you on Ike Barinholtz. Yeah. Did you watch uh, The After Party, the Apple show? That is so far at the top of my list, and I need to sit down and watch it's, it, and I keep forgetting it, it exists until moments exactly like this one. It's 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 quite a lot of fun. Really fantastic cast. I need to watch Lord it. and Miller, who basically have never had a miss. Yeah. So. So then all I have left are writer and director. Are okay. there any actors I'm missing? Or any characters I'm missing? No, I, I think that basically covers it. Okay. Yeah. So then let's talk about writers and uh, director. Okay. Did you have a hyphenate or did you have separate writer-director? I, I had a bunch of different ideas on here. Uh, like, it was kind of like, I was kind of prepared to go in any number of different directions based on, like, where we went with, like, the cast, the tone, and everything like that. I feel like with where we're ending up at this, the the overall kind of tone of, like kind of light and fun but still like grounded in character playful the the names that come to mind and this these would be a, a writer director pair is john francis Daly and jonathan goldstein the uh writer directors of game night and the aforementioned dungeons and dragons which yeah. is one of my favorite movies of this year i have used that pairing or them broken up individually quite often i'm They're sure very good yes I did something a little bit different. Um, I had a writing team and mm-hmm. then a separate director. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the writing team behind several adaptations and one uh, Bond movie. Wait, wait, hang on. That's Who Are Bridge. No. One Bond movie. Well, I mean, so it's, it's, it's not, not a good one. It's not, I'm assuming it's not Purvis and Wade. No. And then Paul Haggis did two of them. John Logan did Spectre and Skyfall. Who else did Spectre? I forget. Who else did Spectre? Uh, their names are Jez and John Henry Butterworth. Oh, I forgot the Butterworths did a pass on Spectre. They also did the most recent Indiana Jones. They did Dial of Destiny, and they also did Edge of Tomorrow. Ooh. And Edge of Tomorrow is kind of the thing, because, like, they have, like, the weird, like, body mechanics, but they also have, like, the weird creatures, yeah. and just, like, Edge of Tomorrow is an exceptionally good Dude, movie. Edge of Tomorrow is a goddamn masterpiece. And, um, and I just thought it was funny that you were talking about it earlier. Yeah, I, I get, like... Again, I, I could go on and on and on about, like, the, the cruise macquarie pairing, I think. They just... I'm going on vacation uh, in a week and a half, and I have the... No- so I read the original manga for mm-hmm. Edge of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, live, die, repeat. Like I read all you that. Need is kill was the original. all you need is kill. Excuse yeah. me. And I read that years ago because yeah. it was like in Shonen Jump, and it was just like you all need to read this right now. And I was like, yeah. okay, and it was so good. And so now there's also a novelization of it. So I have that, and I'm considering if I want to read that too. But I'm like, I read the the, the manga. It was that was good. That might be enough. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, like again like a film that I feel like people are sleeping on. It is a great. It's so good. Great film. Um, um, I, I think. I feel like McCord did maybe a pass on that. He was a producer on that, though. He didn't direct it. That was uh, Doug Lyman who directed yeah. it. Great director. There you go with the memories. Again, <laughs> knowing stuff. Useless. In almost <laughs> except, any... except for the fact that you're now employed because of it. Yeah, I guess. But like in almost any other context, it's useless. Yeah. Uh, so. But anyway, so that's what I had for my writing team. Jez and John Henry Butterworth, because they're great. Uh, and so for my director, I wanted someone who... So basically, I had writers who were good at writing action, and then a director who was good at directing comedy. Mm-hmm. And so my director is someone who, like, came up, like, directing Key and Peele. And he also directed, like, Keanu and everything. And he directed a, a, a short-lived show called Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And most recently, he directed The Machine, which okay. was the, uh, what's-his-face, the guy who takes a shirt off in his comedy. It's about, it's about the comedian who, like, has a crazy story about going to Russia. And this director's name is Peter Atencio. He's going to be the director for Fraggle Rock, the movie. He hasn't done that much. He directed an episode of The After Party. Okay. He was an executive producer on Whiskey Cavalier. He directed three episodes of The Last Man on Earth. I'm just going to keep mentioning stuff no, okay, that he yeah, did yeah, that I, is referenced to... No, in I got a... it. Okay, so if we're not just going to go with the the um, John Francis Daly, Jonathan Goldstein route... Especially, just, like, I would. I've just used them so often. Well, you know what? I have it, but I agree. I know. Here's the thing. I'm happy to go with one of them. No, you do them as a pair. They're, they're, they, do, <laughs> they do great work. As a, great, great work as a pair. So, I'm like, yeah, yeah, the Butterworths. Spectre is, for me, the worst Daniel Craig Bond film. I'm aware, because it is decidedly the worst Daniel Craig. Like, literally, I have on here, I wrote, uh, Jez and John Henry Butterworth, Dial of Destiny, Edge of Tomorrow, Spectre, and then brackets, sorry. Yeah, no, it's, and then, like, uh, did you see Dial of Destiny? No. It's fine. That's what I heard. I... Like, basically, it's one of those movies where I've seen reviews across the board. I heard some people I, really liked it. I heard some people really hated it. But most people were like, okay. I, you know what? It, it was fine. I, I, I saw it with some friends who we loved to, like, really dive in and, like, dissect movies. One of them, one of my friends who just does development. And so, like, this is, like, literally his job. And Go so we, we really get into this sort of stuff. And, like, we weren't overly enamored. Mm-hmm. I, I also rewatched all of them, including King of the Crystal Skull, which I will say this, I think actually is better than people remember it. Sure. I think that movie, to be fair, completely falls off the rails once they get to, like, the jungle sequences. I think it's actually pretty solid up to that point. Okay. I actually like the opening set piece. Maybe not brilliantly executed, but pretty clever. Obviously, the nuking the fridge thing, incredibly stupid. But, like, the whole idea of, like, going to that warehouse, the set piece there, a little bit of him, like, being older works pretty well. I think Shia Buff is grossly miscast. In that role, but I feel like like the chase through the town works decently well. Like a lot of it's actually pretty solid up until what what I I'm learned, willing to watch it again. Yeah, what what I learned about that movie recently, which I didn't realize at the time, unlike every other Indiana Jones movie, including the newest one, they never left the United States and filmed that. They didn't actually travel around the world. They're like, ah, eh, we have families, we don't want to travel for it. So that's why like they're not in a jungle, they're not in Peru, they're not in all these other places. They just filmed it in the United States and it shows. So, that's why I feel like especially that's where that teeters off. That's all to say is, like, on my initial viewing, I would probably put uh, Blasphemous, maybe, Kingdom above Dial of Destiny. 
I am in the middle of listening to yet another Empire Spoiler Special. <laughs> that included a fantastic interview with James Mangold. They're diving into it. As they're dissecting it, I'm having a great appreciation for what is happening in that movie. I think James Mangold is generally like one of the best directors working right now. I didn't, I didn't love the movie, but you know what? Like, I think there's a... Let me put it this way. I think the problems with the new one aren't necessarily in the script. Fair. So I'm will I'm willing to go with the with the the brothers Butterworth. Okay. Well, then who would you prefer as the director? So I, I have a few names. Obviously, I was going to do like Daly and Goldstein as a pair. This might sound ridiculous, but Justin Simeon, who his like big thing was Dear White People, he directed the Haunted Mansion, which I will full on say I did not enjoy. I did not think it was particularly good. But there was something there. I, I, I don't necessarily think that, like, he's has a, has a problem as a director. I just don't know if I think that was, like, the right movie for him. Okay. I think that movie needed to have a horror director in it. I think, it, like, at one point it's going to be Guillermo Mel del Toro or, like, a Mike Flanagan. I think you needed sure. someone in there who, like, that is their bread and butter. So they know how to, like, do a lighthearted twist on a horror film i think you needed someone who could like deconstruct a horror film in a way that made it seem like fun and friendly so i don't i don't i think he's good i think he's very talented i just think that was not a good pairing of material but like i think about how he worked with kind of like the ensemble cast like the comedy that he did bring to it his work on dear white people i think that he needs another vehicle that better suits his talents and i feel like this i feel like what makes the hook of this is not that it's subverting a genre i think the hook of this is chemistry yes it's it's dynamic between the characters i feel like you're mostly on this journey to spend time with them and the hijinks along the way the action um the fun and games is all like the set dressing and all of it you know like that's my big takeaway from the first one i was like the hook on this is the two leads everything else around it is the zhuzh on the whole thing great maybe maybe too zhuzhed in the case of the original one, I, I I think there's something there. I think he could do something with uh with like a different angle on it. Good. Okay. Great. I'll I'll buy into that. That mm-hmm. sounds great. Yeah. That's our movie. Well, there we go. So yeah. Let me let me take you through our our version of the Wild Wild West. Hey, there we go. Uh, James West will be played by Greg Tarzan Davis. Artemis Gordon will be played by Harvey Guillen. Doctor Arliss Lovelace will be Kate McKinnon. Rita Escobar will be Amber Midthunder. Coleman will be Nancy Daly. General McGrath will be Jonathan Banks. President Grant will be Ike Barinholtz. All of this will be written by Jez and John Henry Butterworth. And directed by Justin Simeon. That is the Wild Wild West. Chris, you gonna go see this movie? Yeah. Hell I'm yeah. see it. I'm not only because I wanted to do well at the box office, because obviously we're getting a percentage. Of, of course. Point. I mean, it would, be, it would be ridiculous if we didn't. Like, yeah, obviously, we're, okay, we're well, like, arguing okay. that, points on the back end, the whole thing. I don't know why else were we here? Yes. It would be crazy. Yes. But yeah, Good. No, I, like, I'm I'm genuinely really happy with this. I think that's I think it's a really fun ensemble. Like I really think those three, Harvey, Amber, and and Tarzan. I think the three of them, like I can see really oh, good yeah. chemistry there between all of them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, again, like I'm I'm thinking the aforementioned uh, um, Man from Uncle. Like those three leads just work really really well together, and I, and I think there's something here. And I think that the supporting cast around them is also bringing a it's lot of, sort of like, people fun where it's like actors. they have so much charisma on their own that you just want it's. 
it's the Will Smith of something, or he's just someone who just has so much natural charisma that you want to watch them be in a bunch of weird situations to just watch them bounce around because it's just fun to see them. Exactly. Yeah, and I think everyone around them is going to bring like good, good energy to it as well. Absolutely. So, um, but cool. We did a podcast, Chris. I love it. Thank you very much. Once again, thank you. Uh, uh, do always you love being here. So, thank you. More importantly, once again, talk about the different things that you're doing and uh, promote any social medias if you have any of that left. Yes, I, I, I do. Um, the only real social media that I use is my Instagram. You can go there to see, like, uh, occasional stories of my roommate's dog and mostly stuff having to do with Lego. That's mostly You did recently there. build an intense Lego set. So when I had... Wait, was it when I had COVID or when I thought I had COVID? I it's, think it's when you thought you had COVID. It's you been had... a wild summer for me. Sure. Um, <laughs> yes, at, at one point I was exposed to COVID and then... Quarantine for 10 days to see if I got sick. I didn't. And then, like, less than a month later, I actually did get COVID and had to quarantine. During one of those two periods, I honestly do not remember at this point, because what is time? I built a recently released, it's called, like, the Lego Batcave Shadow Box. But it's this beautiful, kind of stylized recreation, amalgamation of the two Tim Burton Batcaves from Batman 89 and Batman Returns. It is gorgeous. It's one of my favorite Lego sets I've ever built. It looked really cool. Uh, it, it was like a really fun build. It's got lots of cool features and details in it. Um, it looks amazing. Like I have a shelf that I'm able to store it on. Like where it's like, it's like mostly opened up too. And I was able to put some of my extra Batmobiles, which I have a great many, in there as well. It's That that was like my big thing I did on Instagram recently. Obviously it's well gone, but I should go, I should go back and just like re-add it to like my, my saved stories I mean, or whatever. Or just so. like, like do one big post where it's just photo dump and it's just blah, blah, blah. I, I do, I need to do a photo dump. It, like I said, it's been a weird summer. It's also been a very fun summer. Yeah, like good. Some, some weddings. It, it's, it's been a good time. So at Lordifer, L-O-R-D-O-P-H-E-R, a combination in reverse of my first and last name. And then in terms of like what I'm working on, uh, you know, at this point it's, it's keep it. It's a, it's a really fun show about entertainment and pop culture the guys are experts on like music movies tv uh lewis in particular like really knows his oscars like he like truly like is he, he actually wrote for the most recent oscars like he's an oscar like, oh cool genius like you just throw out like uh best supporting actress winner 1965 he's like whoever this person is you know? wow he, he's amazing a memory that um, rivals your own that's impressive oh you know, like i i pale in comparison wow. uh good person it, to have a trivia Yes, exactly. Amazing percent of trivia. Great, both of them great to work with. It's uh, it's it's just a really fun show. I really enjoy getting to work on it, and I think it's pretty damn fun. So go check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in finding me, I am on Instagram at Ideal Remake. I D E A L R E M A K E. Or even more recently than that, I am now on Blue Sky. You can follow oh, me right, at yes. Sam Gash. S A M G A S C H. That's kind of it in terms of social media. So if you're interested in having a conversation with me, you can also join the Dueling Genre podcast and uh, podcast Discord. Join the Dueling Genre Discord in the show notes for this show and uh, have a conversation with me. Who do you think would be good for these cast roles? Uh, What would you do for Wild West and Wild 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 West? I want to hear about it. (laughs) And, of course. Yeah. And if you want to do uh, a favor for Keep It or for Ideal Remake, the best thing you could do would be to go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. <gasps> Yay! It's the greatest thing you can do for a podcast. It's a wonderful gift. I haven't had a, a, a review in a really long time, but I'd really love to have some more. Monsters. I know. But that's it. Thank you very much for listening. And Chris, thank you very much for being my guest once thank again. Thank you for having me back. It's so lovely. I will end this episode the same way I end every episode. What is your favorite quote from the movie Wild Wild West? You can't prepare for this knowing this is going to happen. That is a man's head. (laughs) Good.